Hello, my name is James McDermott. I'm a writer, teacher and 26-year-old cisgendered man. As a gay man, I love men, but as a gay man, I dislike men too. As a camp man who talks and writes about his feelings, I have always questioned stereotypical masculine ideals. As stereotypical men aren't camp, don't talk about their feelings and certainly don't create plays and poems about them. As a 26-year-old, I feel I've learned and unlearned lots about being a man, but at 26, still have lots to learn and unlearn about being my own kind of man. In this podcast series, I will talk with several people to explore masculinity, try and work out why we love and hate men, whether there are such things as masculine ideals, how creativity can help men explore and express themselves, and what men still have to learn and unlearn about being their own kind of man. In this episode, I'm joined by Andy Wood. Hello, Andy. Hello, James. Thank you for being here. So can we start by asking you to say a little bit about yourself, where you work and why you wanted to come onto the podcast today? So I am one of the founder members of a Norfolk-based organisation called Men's Craft. Our aim is to support the well-being and development of men and boys and we do that through a variety of projects. And we we talk about the idea of positive masculinity as something that we wish to promote through that work. Fab, thank you very much. Can I ask you to say a little bit about what made you want to found Men's Craft? What was the ethos behind the project? Well, that's, that goes back a while. Um, I've been involved in in men's work, shall we say, um, I think through the 90s and and ever since then, um, mostly through attending different types of men's groups and men's gatherings. Um, around the late 90s, I did some retraining because I felt that I wanted to uh, work with men. Um, I felt that there were, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting and challenging time for men, and I wanted to be involved in the process of helping men meet that challenge in positive ways. Um, I did some uh, drama therapy training, so I've got an interest in using theatre and things like that as a, a means for that. Um, and so when I finished that training, a job came up in Norwich. Uh, working with young fathers at MAP, which is a young people's project in Norwich. And so I moved here in 2003 to um, fulfil that job, um, started to in, get involved with other men who are working with men and other men interested in men's issues. And we started to run groups here and things. And we felt because there was no organisation dedicated to that kind of thing they want there's not that many around the country um so a few of us got together and formed men's craft um and we did that in 2006 going back to that the start of that work in the 90s and that training with the drama therapy what is it that drew you to working with men in the first place mm. I became a father around the age of 28 um, and um, very uh, that was in 
1985 and my daughter was carried in her mother's womb at Greenham Common um, on several occasions um, if uh, and um, I was quite inspired I remember went to hear various women speak about um, that campaign and things um, was inspired by what women could do where I felt that really men weren't as effective certainly not at the peace camps anyway um, so with that and when my daughter was born my partner and I decided to come to split the childcare completely 50 50 so we literally changed over who was in charge of her at midday every day even though for the first year that required me to um, keep her in close proximity to her mum while she was being breastfed but um, so I think you know fatherhood and what was going on um, you know with the peace camps at that time were the inspiration for me just to start thinking I think for the first time about the, the issues for me personally and for the world about being a man so yeah I, I take it back to that particular point yeah thank you so much that's such an interesting answer in that sense I'm really moved by that notion that you were galvanized by what was happening at Greenham Common to reflect on masculinity and that was influenced by feminist thinking I think that's recurred a lot in these podcasts uh lots of people thinking uh that that feminist movement has encouraged them to really reflect on the nature of masculinity and the often ruinous effects that it can have on other people. So let's go back then to uh, your earliest relationships with masculinity, let's say around the age of six. Uh, what were your understandings of masculinity when you were uh, a young boy? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure that I had any any understanding. I mean, I I I felt very much um, that that I was a boy, I, I, but I I think I have had quite an interesting um, experience over the years with coming up against various issues around masculinity, um, and I suppose it began around about six. So I was bullied around that age and of course I think that was probably my first experience of um, the, the notion of not standing up for myself I'm not sure how I what I did with that but I know I carried a lot of shame into well into um, uh, adult life for the various times when I haven't stood up to um, being bullied um and 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 the feeling that that brings that i wasn't that i wasn't man enough i mean i've i've come to terms with that and and a lot but i think probably around that age that was the first time i felt some shame um about perhaps not meeting up to some expectation and god knows as a six-year-old where where i got those ideas from but you know, they were, I suppose they were just how, how it was, you know, you were supposed yeah. to kind of stick up for yourself, um, whereas girls were allowed to go and tell someone um, that you were being bullied. Um, so, yeah, that, 
And also around about the same time, this particular young lad was finally confronted by my dad, who, uh, very un-PC, but this was back in the early 60s, clipped the said Melvin round the ear. And then sometime later, I don't remember how long it was later, but my dad and I were in the front garden. He was, I don't know what I was doing, but he was doing some gardening. And Melvin's father came over. And I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could just tell from the body language that my father was getting a talking to in the same bullying fashion. And in fact, many years later, my father did um, tell me that basically Melvin's dad had said if he ever laid a glove on 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 Melvin again, um, he would um, knock six buckets of what's it out of him. So. There are kind of these ways that that notion of, of how boys were supposed to be were around in these ways, which, of course, I never really realised at the time. Thank you for sharing that with me. I am uh, empathise with so much of it in that sense of feeling shame for not being a certain type of boy at six and not quite being able to pinpoint where that was coming from. I don't think I was getting any messages directly from my parents, certainly not any sort of covert um, messages. It was just much more on a on a on a subtle level, and this is this is kind of makes you realise just how insidious so, so social conditioning can be about you know how we are supposed to be. And I think it is interesting, you know, that obviously these issues um, affect um, men, and I'm sure they affect women as well in their own, in their own way, but they affect us. Um, straight or gay these these issues um you know confront confront us and 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 when they don't sit comfortably with us um then i think of, often we internalize these negative messages which impact on us you know often i think you know for the rest of our lives unless we have some way of um you know bringing them out of the shadow and kind of looking at them and um, you know, undoing undoing the shaming processes that went on, which in my case I think was was very subtle. I don't, you know, my, my mother definitely didn't encourage any fighting back, um, so it wasn't like a you know an overt message inside the family. Oh, you should stand up for yourself. She was definitely of the one of you know, I should turn the other cheek, and you know, so I don't know where I got the message from. So let's talk now then about that sense of you'd internalise those messages. How would your relationship with masculinity change by the time you were a teenager? Were you still feeling like you had to be a certain type of man? And at 16, were you aware of more dominant, louder messages of how you were supposed to be then? I think I'd internalised the idea that I was basically a coward by the time I was 16. OK, um, I'm not sure if there are any other messages that were around that was the sort of you know um a lot of other stuff I just kind of it just was I didn't really think about um whether my how my gender impacted on either my development or my identity I didn't certainly didn't really really think about that I mean I did a lot of the normal boyish type stuff um uh you know the, you know again when i was um just prior to being 16 leading up to 16 certainly when i turned teenage 
that suddenly this issue of being bullied arose again. I found that for some reason I was an easy target and lots of lots of uh, I got a feeling that at some point I was I was the one that any other bloke wanted to prove his masculinity on. I was an easy target because um, I did crumble every time when when aggression was shown to me without any reason. If I was having a row with another boy, I would stand my ground. But if it was just being picked on for no apparent reason, I would just kind of crumble. So between 13 and when I left school at 16, um, it tailored off a bit by time 16. But this, this, you know, there was constant um, examples of being bullied and uh, and and I think I internalised that. What I think saved me from feeling very negative about myself was um, growing up in the 60s when the idea that, you know, peace and love man was was kind of um, a good thing. And so getting into the alternative culture gave me a, 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 a kind of identity where being a man, a man who was into love rather than fighting, you know, there must have been a hundred songs that were were telling us at that era that the way to be a man was to be to be um, to be about love rather than fighting. So it was a it was a get out clause for me, and um, I can I can continue growing up with that with that sort of you know having really in a sense put that idea of being a coward and the shame associated with that kind of in into a box and it would only ever come out on odd occasions when something would trigger it but when it did get triggered boy would i i would get overwhelmed with 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 feelings of shame um thank you very much for sharing that story uh, i again empathize with lots of it i think that sense of feeling like the punchline to people's jokes a lot certainly as a young gay kid there was that sense of I don't know how you dealt with that sense of feeling like uh, that coward or that uh, target all the time but I certainly and I'm still working through this now felt like I was in a constant state of fight or flight when I was waiting for someone to pick on me uh, so I really empathize with that sentiment so yes there was there was a period when I did have almost constant uh, sense of flight or fright because uh, there did seem to be um, a gang of um, kids waiting for me at school and and waiting for me in the village where I lived. And, yeah, I, I guess for a, a year or so, I did live like that. I mean, um, mm. uh, but I, I have to say that because it was, you know, this is a very subtle thing and, it, you know, it's nothing like the experience which you may have had or, you know, maybe a, a black kid, you know, moving into a, a white school which there were examples of that in you know in in my area there wasn't very many black kids around who who were probably you know i can understand were were constantly you know being picked on because of that you know obvious difference so mine wasn't anything mm -hmm. like that mine was a short period where i did live in that sort of constant fear but um you know i remember when i was 16 and i went to a technical college you know largely I'd taken myself out of out of that situation, um, so mm. didn't have to experience it anything um, like the, the way that I can imagine that you've had to deal with. 
Well, I think saying that we will never know in that sense of because we can only experience our own experiences, they could have equally have been, uh, they're equally as distressing, I think, if you feel like the target of it. But I was also struck by that sense of regardless of whether the experiences were similar, that sense of we dealt with it in a similar way. I think just as you found that counterculture that uh, advocated love as opposed to fighting, I certainly found camp culture around a similar time, which advocated a certain type of masculinity and kind of taught me comebacks that I could use against people who were being difficult and introduced me to camp kind of wearer's armour. And also, yeah, just finding the music of the Smiths and Morrissey when I was a teenager who advocated a different type of masculinity and almost deified uh, weakness and saying, or stereotypical weakness, you don't, you Mm. can be weak and effeminate in that stereotypical way, but it's actually incredibly heroic because here's a pop star who embodies it. So I think, yeah, really moved that we both found similar heroes or similar movements that helped save us, really. That's a, that's a really good point. You know, I've never really thought about that, thought that through before. But I mean, of course, there are, there are, there's not just one masculinity. I know we've got the, the hegemonic act masculinity, which is probably what we're talking about and how we've come into kind of contact and conflict with that but how important sort of popular culture has been really right back since the war in in i think probably giving an outlet for for you know for for people to um you know to help them find some kind of i don't know what the word would be but 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 something that helps them them deal with 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 um with all that's other sort of shit that's going on yeah absolutely i think that's beautifully expressed and hearing you say that as well i haven't thought this before but that sense of until that boom of popular culture maybe your male role models are either a parent they were god or they were historical figures who everyone studied at school uh and then when popular culture gave us this plethora of different men and women to uh idolize and learn from suddenly that palette of who we could be really opened up Absolutely. I mean, of course, of course, there were a lot of there are a lot of sort of you know pop idols around in my a masculinity that was quite feminine, but it's but it coming over is very very masculine. I, I think in some ways, you know, I'm talking about people like David Bowie and Mick Jagger and you know, you know Mark Bolan and 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 guys like that that I was listening to when I was growing up. Uh, but I think interestingly enough, of course, they was they was I think if you were to look at gender politics, you know, between, you know, things between men and women, you know, I think a lot of feminists would say that clouded, clouded the issue quite, quite a lot, because, of course, a lot, a lot of those, um, you know, it didn't necessarily mean that those men were being, you know, less, you know, misogynistic or, 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 or whatever yeah. in the way that they were responding and treating women but i guess that's a different a different issue no absolutely i think it's really similar to the arguments that lots of feminists have around drag and that sense of uh men are performing a certain type of stereotypical femininity that's uh kind of classified as very beautiful and governed by dress and makeup and that can seem really anti-progressive as well so i think it's just a it feels like it's an echo of that older uh, argument from uh, from mm-hmm. the 80s in response to David Bowie and Mark Boland. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of going forward then, you said that's how you were feeling at 16. You had that feeling that you were 
easy prey and that sense of you'd internalized uh, bullying that led you to feel uh, often that you were classified as that coward. Moving forward into your 20s, was that feeling still there? And uh, if not, how were you uh, responding to ideas of masculinity and gender in your 20s? Well, it's interesting because I I think, you know, I, I didn't like any situations of aggression and stuff like that. So, but it was interesting. I think that's why in some ways the peace movement around that time was a really interesting period for for me to get into because I guess the the classic hegemonic idea of masculinity was that that men put themselves on the line. You know, if you think and if you think about all those historic movements, it was the men that put themselves forward to be beaten um, by the white police, you know, and and the women sort of, you know, mopped, mopped up the broken skulls. And here suddenly this was it was women saying, no, we're going to put ourselves on the front line. And it it almost felt like saying, you know, this there was some kind of relief from this, but thinking if I wanted to make some kind of social difference, if I wanted to protest, I didn't have to be the one that sort of literally put my you know my head on the line to be to be beaten i know this sounds a bit weird but it suddenly it felt quite it felt quite liberating to go no it's okay to be a um a man um and not be on the front line and in fact the role that i adopted was very was to be very supportive of my partner who was going um, was going to the, the demonstration and was getting arrested, and in 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 that era, in I don't know. So hang on, just thinking. Eighty five. I was about twenty seven. Um, so in that sort of mid eighties period, um, was very active in a nonviolent direct action group, but I always took on the support roles. I I I never put myself into a situation where I was going to get arrested. I didn't mean to say I didn't actually have to confront some situations where I received a lot of aggressive response. There was one occasion when I was um, support person in the in the safe house um, for the Greenham Common Camp, which was the Quaker House in Newbury. And um, so I was in the house at the end of the telephone um, overnight um, in case anybody from our group, including my my partner, who was pregnant with my daughter, should call because something had happened. And in the night, I got these um, abusive phone calls from American soldiers at the base. And um, I have to admit, sort of sitting there feeling terrified that they actually were going to come and you know, drag me out of this house in the middle of the night and beat me up, but actually still having to kind of sit at the end of the phone because I know knew I couldn't abandon my post. So I actually in that period um, learnt that um, being brave could happen in other ways and that that was okay. It didn't. So at that time I was beginning to unpick this subconscious idea that I was I was a coward I you know I'm <laughs> like, like a lot of a lot of people we don't necessarily want to put ourselves our heads on the line um you know um to 
we get ourselves beaten but you know uh, maybe that is i think or maybe i've come to terms that i i would still find that very difficult to you know deliberately put myself um into those situations but i felt that i had um was was learning to respect myself as a person as a man um and not and and not being so self-deprecating as i would have been when anything like that would have been triggered previously i would have gone into a big spiral of beating myself up so in at that time i was learning to accept my own limitations seeing that cowardice and bravery were things that could be measured in different ways and it didn't it was it wasn't affecting my self-esteem um to not measure up to these hegemonic ideas of how a man should be thank you so much i think that's fascinating i love that idea that in your 20s you kind of resaw that feeling of cowardice for what it was which is just being brave in an alternative way to the one you were told boys and men were supposed to be brave like uh, i think that's just such a lovely thing to hear having heard you talk uh, about feeling like that coward uh, so you said at the top of the podcast that uh, what happened at greenham con what happened with your relationship with your partner at that time and uh, what feminism taught you about uh, masculinity galvanized you to go and work in men's organizations and men's charities from the position you're in in your life now working for those charities having encountered lots of different men and boys uh what advice would you give to your younger self to that 26 year old self or 16 year old self is there something you'd like to go back and say that might make things a little easier as they developed mm. now that that is that is interesting I think if I could go back, I would like to have engaged my 16-year-old and my six-year-old with ways of standing up to bullies in a non-violent way. My parents did not give me the resources or did not encourage the resource within myself to find ways to stand up for myself. And I would like to go back just before lockdown. I went on a, um, a, a men's retreat and there was a martial arts person was one of the person there. And he was he was just showing us lots of ways that um, just that knowing knowing how to respond to threats of violence, not in any way engaging with it. And I just thought I'd wish I'd had those skills back then. So that's what I would have liked to have been resourced to still be myself, but to not have completely capitulated when kind of being attacked or whatever. Yeah. And I think that is some and I think that is something maybe we don't we don't think about with with boys and maybe with girls, you know, um, you know, maybe you know it's it's too black and white either you you know you fight or you just capitulate i mean there's got to be you know it's like there's aggression and there's being aggressive and there's being passive but I, i'm always looking for how to be assertive you know that's for me is like you know the, the middle ground that everybody needs to learn as a sort of basic human skill um i i think and and that is what i think i would have liked to have learned um at an earlier age 
think how, how to be how to be assertive i think that's great advice that's i think so many maladies of negative masculinity come back to that idea that uh we've been taught to be aggressive or and girls have been taught to be passive but no one is taught to be assertive i think that really is underneath so many of the problems uh, that i still encounter when i work with young men today in uh, my own work as a teacher uh, before we part company i would love to hear you talk about how any young men listening or older men listening to could get involved with men's craft and the work they do should they feel inspired by what they've heard you talk about today well yes you can you can get involved by um looking us up on we've got obviously got the normal website it's um you know www.menscraft.org.uk but what i would say is we've done we have done um when have allowed we've done um mentoring programs and rites of passage programs for young men i mean i think that is a big thing that is missing for men per se in our society we do not have any process of um both mentoring um young men or acknowledging stages of life you know we don't we don't have anything that says um oh you know, welcome to adulthood. We're going to hold a, a ceremony to acknowledge that you're no longer a child or a, an adolescent. You're now an adult, you know, and this applies to men as well as, you know, women. Um, and I think that's something that's missing. We we trialled um, a, a programme with 12 young men aged 18 to 25. Well, that was about getting on for too many years ago now and and uh, when we did it it was quite a successful program um it was with an awards for all funding uh, we didn't just the way we were at the time we didn't have chance to follow it up but interestingly well this is this this is keys into how you and i have come into contact isn't it because we've been talking about this other organization called a band of brothers who are of course doing that very kind of thing and um and i hope that when all this covid business is under control and we finish with lockdowns we can bring that idea back into norfolk because i think young men desperately need those things we need um, men with a little bit more experience of life to help them make the transition um we just don't have um you know boys look up to the boys who are just a couple of years older than them and um you know i think it's a big failing of our society and if we want to start turning out well-balanced young men we you know men need to start going back to the idea as part of all of our responsibility not just fathers to actually mentor young you know, boys into into adulthood and there's an old african saying is if we don't tend to the to the boys the boys will t burn the village down and um you know and i and i very much think that is part of what um manscraft is about I think that's so well expressed. Thank you. I'm really fascinated by that idea of yours, that sense of there's no marking of rites of passage anymore. And I remember Grayson Perry making a show called Rites of Passage for Channel 4, where yes. he talked about exactly that, that sense of within Western society and certainly in secular society now, uh, there's no life 
rites of passage marks anymore. We just expect it to turn up. Our bodies change, our lives change, and we just deal with it. And if you're a man, you're encouraged not to talk about what you're going through anyway. Uh, so yeah, so it's just assumed that boys can hit puberty and just grow into men without any qualms or without marking it at all. So I think it sounds kind of really quietly heroic, the work that you're doing to implement those schemes that help that rite of passage for young men. Uh, so I think that's a lovely place to wrap up before we do is there anything else you'd like to say to people that are listening <laughs> um I, I suppose i would say that a lot of our work at the moment is with with men who suffer from uh, suicidal ideation and things like that and men's mental health so a lot of our current projects are focusing on our, those issues which i also think result a lot from how we've internalized the hegemonic idea of how men should be. I think basically a lot of our mental health problems stem from our internal internalization of those kind of characteristics and then feeling like we don't match up to them. And then secondly, the double whammy is that then we think as men, of course, we're not, we can't go and seek help when we are feeling uh, mentally unwell. Andy Wood, thank you so much for your time and for talking to me on Mantle this afternoon. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. This has been Mantle, the Masculinity Conversations, brought to you by me, James McDermott, and Story Machine Productions, with music by Jordan Mallory Skinner and produced by Sam Ruddock. We're keen to talk to anyone who wants to share their experience of masculinity. If you would like to be featured in a forthcoming episode, drop us a line at storymachineproductions at gmail.com.